Labor Day weekend, everyone. Welcome to Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis. I am Eve Sturgis. I'm the host. I experienced a DNA discovery a few years ago, um, and I discovered a whole world of people. There are thousands of us uh, who experience these earth-shattering shocks about who we are related to, where we come from, who our parents are, or our children are, or are not. And I thought, we got to talk about this. So much of it is about secrecy and shame and mistakes and misinformation and dishonesty. And I don't see any way out of it except to bring that reality of our world to light. And the only way I know how to do that is to talk about it. So I started this podcast. I want to make sure that everyone, no matter where they are in this equation, knows that they are not alone. And my hope is that by normalizing all the variables, better decisions can be made or better guidance can be offered. Um, Like, I guess overall, I want the world to be a better place. And that is a really cheesy place to get to. But here we are. Everything's relative. Cheesy as fuck. This is a very special episode. And I know I say that a lot. uh, But I want to talk about what it's like to be with Sandy. She is a woman that has been through so much. So much, I can't even tell you. In fact, like we talked for well over two hours for this podcast and I edited out tons of stories uh, in, in order for it all to make sense because her stuff is so wild and all the parts are interesting and they all matter. But I wanted to edit it down for, for two reasons. One is I want Sandy's stories to be owned by her and I think that maybe she needs to write a book so I didn't want all this stuff to just be splashed out on on my dumb podcast. <laughs> um, I wanted I wanted to save some for her. And secondly, I I wanted to kind of keep the focus on the NPE angle, which is hard because you'll hear that her her tail it like wanders a long way around, and it's it's always a challenge for me to find balance in people's stories. Um, or my experience with them, because I want to illustrate that all the parts of a person's story, even when they don't seem to relate to the DNA discovery part, are a part of the story. Because the DNA discovery wouldn't mean anything if it weren't for all the pieces of us that we consider a part of our identity, right? So we carry all these experiences with us into the world and into who we are and how we experience things. And then this DNA discovery happens and it's, it's all connected. No part of us is disconnected from the rest of us. Um, I just don't believe that our life is made up of a series of disconnected, isolated incidents that don't influence any other part of us. And that's part of what makes Sandy's story um, so special. Her life was hard and wild. And uh, y'all will hear how it is somewhat unbelievable and and I think, like, what I want to say is that she also comes from a walk of life that never would have crossed paths with my walk of life if we didn't both have this one weird thing in common. 
And because of that, we now inhabit the same space. And I get to know this person who's been through so much more than I ever could imagine. And we get to bond over exploring what makes us similar and what makes us different. Awesome. Uh, where are you located? Um, I'm in New Jersey. You are? Okay. I am. I'm in West Deptford, New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say that you were in Philadelphia. Well, I'm originally from Philadelphia. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not, okay. That wasn't like totally left field. I didn't just like invent that. Not, okay. not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm from South Philly originally, mm -hmm. but I've been in uh, West Deptford, New Jersey now for nine years. Oh, okay. So not even that long. I mean, nine years is not that long. Okay. No, it's not. No. Okay. I didn't even know that. Cool. All right. Are you ready? I guess I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's anything. It's not going to be anything you haven't talked about before. Sure. Right. Um, all right. Wait, and I gave you that that list of questions. I should look at them so that we go in the order that I asked them too, right? It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, Either yeah, way. yeah, yeah. Okay. So the first... <laughs> First question, I don't know why I made me giggle. The first question is, where did you grow up? And what was that like? Good question. Um, I grew up in South Philadelphia um, with my mother, her husband, and my seven siblings. I am the oldest of eight from my mother. And as far as um, how was that? Um, I, I had a very traumatic childhood. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a, in a drug-ridden home um, with a lot of abuse um, and neglect. But here I am. Here you are. And... Um, when did you um, first, um, when did your, the NPE status for you first, first come into light or when did you first become aware of it? You so were young. for me, I think it's a little different than yeah. most people. Yeah. You're, yeah. 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 No, I know it is. So yeah, you're, yeah, go do it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. So um, I was, um, I guess I, all right. So my mother's husband, who I believed was my father, who I was told was my father. Um, I found out later on that my mother got with him when got, got in a relationship with him when I was around two years old. Hmm. So, yeah. So it's not um, even like she was pregnant with you when she met him or something like that. The overlap isn't like that. You were already two. Okay. Correct. And uh, she had, I guess they, you know, they had me call him dad. So that's all I ever knew. Um, and in about third grade, um, I was going to Catholic school at the time. Um, my mother's sister, my aunt Betsy, she paid for me to go to Catholic school um, at the time. And I went to school one day and I had you know, they have a very strict uniform policy. Girls aren't allowed to wear pants. You know, everything had to be, you know, 
you got to follow this guideline. So right. I we know about school. Catholic school. Yeah. So I was not in my proper attire and they told me I had to take off the excess clothing that I had on, which was a long sleeve shirt underneath my shirt and, um, uh, like pants, like leggings or something mm -hmm. underneath my dress. And I was covered in bruises. Mm. And, um, my teacher asked me what happened. And, uh, I told her. Mm -hmm. And so they called for a meeting and during this meeting, my mother was in the office with the principal and they made me go outside the door, but you know, that ain't going to be that easy for me. I was, I was in there, mm -hmm. you know, I had my ear to the door, listening yeah. to everything. It's, I don't think there to this day, I don't think anyone's figured out how to make, I mean, not how to make, but to this day, no one has made like a, a, a soundproof principal's office. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like they just haven't. Uh-huh. And I, and I was listening and I heard my mother say, well, that's not her real father. And from that point forward, I was determined. <laughs> so determined. Uh, even at a young age, I would ask questions, you know? So I thought she told you she didn't, you overheard it. I, I did not know that. I had mis misremembered. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And then I confronted her about it. And of course the whole dynamic from that point really changed because it made sense hmm. because I was the only one that got the blunt of the abuse. Most of the time it was, you know, said it was behavioral reasons. Um, but it was definitely so much different hmm. than what your other siblings were experiencing. Then my other siblings, yeah, sure. Which all my other siblings are his children. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong; they weren't uh, spared. I mean, the right? They weren't living like a life of luxury with cake and delicate no, delicacies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the abuse was just different. Um, hmm. It was more torturous, I guess you would say, on my end rather mm -hmm. than punishment. Hmm. You know, it was um, kneeling in a corner in the kitchen on rice and you know um for hours at a time and if you got up or moved like i was you know that's another hour i'm there or that's another you know it was um belts you know anything like sadistic just yeah oh yes sociopathic and sadistic can i ask you something mm -hmm. what did the school do anything at that point other than call your mother in to talk? Did something, did anything change at the house or? Oh, so yeah, the school called um, DHS, which is they Department did. of Human Services for, you know, the city of Philadelphia. And they came out and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of them things where we got a lot of kids here. Where, where are you going to put all these kids? You know what I mean? I think that's what, and they just bullshit at them. I'm sorry. You, we can swear. It's okay. I was like, is that why? Bullshit. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, you know, it was, they, they didn't care. You know, it was one of them things where, you know, my mother just, oh, she's just a troubled child, you know, whatever. And yes, I'm not the best mom and I'm poor, but, mm -hmm. you know, we don't abuse our kids, you know, um, mm. which was totally not the truth. Wow. Uh, and 
they had came out multiple times. Oh, they were out there all the time, even before that. And this was, and this was before, I mean, I don't know what they do. I don't, I'm assuming that it's changed in, in Philadelphia because it's, it's not that way here, but like there was no time for them to talk to the kids alone or oh, like it was talking to the parents. It was just talking to the parents and then, always to the right, parents. which is not how DHS um, functions now. Um, yeah. So it was Oof. definitely only talking to the parents. Um, they had time for preparation too. They knew when they were coming. Oh, great. Okay. Um, so what happens is, you know, okay, let's throw some food in here real quick and make it look like we have stuff, which we normally didn't. Um, or, you know, sometimes it was like the electric or the water, you know, they'd have to check all that stuff. And if she was given enough time, she would call her husband's mother to, you know, um, make sure everything was right before they came which was, you know, my grandmother yeah, at the time. You know? Wow. Mm -hmm. And okay. but she was uh, his, he was her only child and she did everything that he said, mm -hmm. you know? Wow. He, he abused her too. So it's not like um, the abuse didn't, you know, stop at his wife and children. Um, it, it, his mother as well. He was, was equal her. opportunity. Oh, absolutely. But you know what he was to think about it now he was such a, um, so many people feared him hmm. just because I guess, because he had a beard and he, you know, was like, I don't know. He reminded you of like, uh, just a, a, a rough biker or something, you know what I mean? But he was really the biggest bitch. Like when, when I think about it now. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and I think about that. And I thought I'd think to myself, like, man, you know, um, you know, weak people try to create fear in people, you know? Oh, I do know. Yeah. They, they have. And that's what he did. He created fear in so many people just because he was just such a weak man. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I know. I know that intellectually um but it's still hard to hear the stories uh sure. and it's still hard not to categorize him as just a monster oh that he is yeah like or you know like can can i see a monster and recognize it comes from weakness that's a yeah that's a I mean, i think maybe that's something we struggle with we all struggle with um sure depend you know Okay, so so the relationship changed when you knew that he wasn't your real father. So from third grade, so tell me how it changed. So third third grade on, um, it definitely changed because now I knew and now I understood why I was being treated the way that I was. Um, he was physically, mentally, emotionally, sexually abusive to, to me. Um, and I guess, you know, it just, it just made sense. So as time went on, I would constantly question my mother, you know, I'd say, so who's my real dad? And she would say, oh, I don't know. And I'd say, well, how, how don't you know? You know, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so she like, did it. So she would admit you had, she would admit as, as much that, okay, it's not this guy. 
Oh, yes, because she knew at that point that I had heard her, so she can't lie to me now. Got it. Um, yeah, and if you call her out on her shit, she, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Either going to deny, deny, or just, you know, but uh, she knew, I knew at that point. And I questioned my family, my aunts and uncles, my grandmother. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's kind of sweet to think of. It's sweet and sad and and it's all sorts of things to imagine a, a little girl going up to just everybody and saying like, so who's my real dad? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so as, as time went on, uh, the abuse never stopped. At one point he had left my mother for another woman. And when that happened, it was like some, you know, it was like, ah, Christmas, I'm here, right. You know, um, and, and have some normalcy in, in life, you would think a little bit. I mean, even though the living conditions and stuff were never um, adequate, it, it was still a, a better situation with him not being in the home. Uh, that only lasted a couple months and then he came back. Bummer. And at that point it was, um, it got even worse. You know, it wasn't just like, it was just him in the house doing the drugs and like his friends would come over mm-hmm. and Really, they would sit there and smoke crack on the couch while us kids just sit there and watch TV all in the same room, you know, um, drug use got really heavy and then it turned into, you know, he had to find other ways to get his drugs if he didn't have money. You know, my mother got welfare for all these kids, right? And literally the way that the money was set out was so crazy so they would get their food stamps go wait in line pick up their food stamps pick up the cash whatever it is that they were getting that day and um come home and the money would be divided at that point five dollars a day for food for all for for all for all eight kids for all the kids total five dollars total correct five dollars per child, pretty much, you know, per, I mean, per, you know, per day, pretty much uh-huh, uh-huh. or groceries. Um, and then most of the money got cashed in at the, um, corner store, a little Chinese store around the corner that they would, um, they would cash in the food stamps for cash. Oh, they're not it supposed was- to do that. The parents uh, or the store. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that would, you'd go around there and you'd give them the food stamps and pretty much it just depended on which store you went to or, you know, it got different as time went on, but it would be like 50, 50. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the one place would do like 75, 25. Um, That's a shitty exchange rate. Oh yeah, absolutely. So uh, it was either 50, 50 or, or you know, 75, 25. And, um, then the $5 a day. So let's see, what are we going to get for $5? Now I do the grocery shopping. I'll go to the store. This is what we got to get. Okay. And I'm listening. Then, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Two for a dollar spaghetti. So you get two boxes, two pounds of spaghetti for $1, 99 cent jar of spaghetti gravy. Mm-hmm or sauce as some people call it, <laughs> but see how Philly, we call it gravy. 
Okay. And then that would be, that would literally be the meal, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get a loaf of bread, which, you know, bread, we, we use bread for everything because it was like the filling, it's filling, right? Totally. Filling. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and then two packs of hot dogs or, you know, something or like um, four cans of tuna fish or something, mm -hmm. you know, a protein that other dollar right you knew to get a protein yeah so um and then that would be like our lunch and dinner for the day we never or you know vice versa we always ate breakfast at school um or we just didn't eat it at all lunch we ate at school too but we always tried to have that extra like you know food there you know for the younger ones who were home from school right you know there's always someone that's there um so at, at this point we're gonna say maybe i am in fifth grade i'm in fifth grade i am in the middle school now uh public middle school um i will go back a little bit i was removed from the catholic school just so you know mm. okay okay that was so that wasn't working out for somebody so for somebody it, it, yeah, it wasn't working out for them reporting them. That's right. what it wasn't Got working it. out. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. So I put back in the public school and I was going to Stephen Gerard um, school. And then once I was done there, I went to the middle school, which is bare middle. Um, and I, I'm in fifth grade. And at this point, I am being told that I need to stay home and watch children. Oh, and I'm not able to attend school. So truancy is coming into effect. Um, they come out to the house. Um, you know, a truancy comes out or a DHS is involved again, of course. And, you know, they say, you know, why aren't you in school? Mm -hmm. And uh, they're asking my mother, why is she not in school? And they're saying, oh, she gives us a problem. She doesn't want to get up and go in the morning. Oh. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm on a, at this point, and I know this is going to be really hard for you to believe, but I'm like, nope, lying. Yeah. Lying. <laughs> I, was gonna say, I was like, when did you get mouthy? Because I feel like that had to have started at some point in there. Right. Okay. So now you can speak up. You're like, now, you're like 11. Yes. And they're looking at me, giving me that eye, you know, like, I swear to God, when they leave, mm -hmm. you're gone. Mm -hmm. And believe me, I always paid the consequence for my actions when it came to that, you know. Um, but of course, they didn't do nothing again. They just said, you know, you better be back in school. You need to follow. We're going to follow up, blah, blah, blah. Again, uh, you know, I went. So, of course, I was able to go back to school, which was like, yes, thank God. Mm -hmm. um, went back to school and then. I'm going to say seventh grade now is where it gets a little tricky. Um, again, I'm not able to go to school. I'm staying home and taking care of kids, you know. And you're the point, oldest. You're 13, let's say, right? 12 or 13. Yeah, I was probably, yeah. Yep, 12, 13. And then yeah. the rest of them are 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3. Like, are they just... So my one sister after me is three years younger than me. Right. That would be the biggest gap, I'm guessing. 
Yeah. And then everybody from there is, yeah, it's like a year or two, mm -hmm. year or two, you know? Um, so I am being kept home from school again. I'm taking care of kids. I remember at one point, my sister, my one sister was born and um, she is, I think she's 10, yeah, she's 10 years younger than me. Okay, she is 10 years younger than me. So I was 10 years old when she was born. I can remember my mother coming in the room and saying to me, I'm going to the hospital, I'm having a baby. And I remember crying. Mm. I did not want to take care of another kid. Right. She was only the, she was the fourth after me, right? No, she was the fifth. She was mm -hmm. the fifth one. And I, like I said, she, and we're 10 years apart. And, and I could just remember just thinking to myself, I don't want to do this no more. Mm. But she came and, you know, it, it was what it was. But again, back to seventh grade, it, we're, we're going through this again. Now I'm reporting everything that's being done. I am constantly. Uh, you're on a mission. I'm on a mission. I am in a, a in a special program at school. Um, they called it the A1 program. It was like for troubled kids. It was for kids who didn't attend school regularly. It was for kids who had bad grades or, you know, anything like that. And we were in this special classroom, should mm -hmm. I say. But they did a lot of after school programs with us to keep us occupied, you know. So I would go in and I would tell them, I'd tell the regular they would constantly call for DHS to come out. Well, my mother, uh, again, kept me home from school and kept keeping me home from school. So then truancy came out and she told them um, that I was incorrigible. Mm -hmm. and it would be best, you know, cause she had to go to court. So she told the courts I was incorrigible and she thinks it would be best that they placed me somewhere. Wow. But again, that was just her trying to, I don't have no control over her, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so I did, I got put into placement. Um, I was in multiple group homes. Um, I never went into a foster care system, but I was in group homes throughout um, the city or the state pretty much because I did go to ones in Pennsylvania, but not in the city of Philadelphia as well. Mm -hmm. That lasted... Um, I guess it was about a year because I came back. I guess it was um, eighth grade, eighth grade year, maybe. I think it was eighth, ninth grade year, maybe. And uh, that's where it really, um, it really got difficult because now I'm coming back into the situation to where the system releases me back into her care. And I'm going back into the situation to where things have been havoc for this amount of time that I've been gone. Right. Uh, at, um, I'm seeing, you know, the effects of that on my siblings. Um, they're not being cared for. You know, I would literally have routines with bathing, homework, feeding, all these things that now was put onto my sister after me, this burden, which is, was not something she was, um, 
I don't think she wasn't ready for it. You know right. I mean? I mean, she, yeah. I mean, I mean, even if she was capable, she wasn't ready. She's three years younger than you. So yeah, it's absurd. It's like absurd. It's unfathomable. Think of you, let alone somebody younger than you trying to fun- trying to do that. And it, it, yeah. Correct. Now, um, at this point I come home and she's pregnant again with my one and only brother. Oh, it's all girls. Oh yes. <laughs> I don't know why that's shining light in this dark story, but for some reason it's sweet to think of all these little girls yes. and heart and heartbreaking, but yeah. So, because I always wanted a lot of sisters. Yeah. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> it, it is. It is unique it's it's definitely pretty cool i guess to have one brother but he is he's a piece of work i'll tell you he's got a personality like you can't even uh <clears throat> he's a comedian that, that kid um so now he, she's pregnant with him uh she delivers him in december of 90 90 yes december of 90 and uh you know, that was that, but that's where it really started to, you know, pick up to where the neglect was really bad. Mm-hmm. The Department of Human Services was always out. Um, people in and out of the house, nobody knew who, what, when, where sometimes. You know, we had tons of animals, which I can blame on myself. I was you are definitely- an animal lover to this day. I was hoarding strays everywhere, uh, stray cats in the alley, stray dogs on the street. Um, we had tons of animals, tons of kids, and and no way to to feed everyone, you know. Um. <laughs> oh boy, to think about it now. Um. So. At, the, at this point, you know, I think that the Department of Human Services is tired of coming out to our house. And are you still bringing up to your to your mom or or to the to her husband that that you're who you're asking about who your dad is? Oh, all the time, all the time. Like- Absolutely. Absolutely. I think every chance I got and I would root through all her paperwork. I would see if I could ever find anything that said anything about anything. And, um, you know, figuring she's on welfare, right? So at, at this point, somebody said to me, you know, well, maybe he pays child support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe, you know, something. So I would go through all the paperwork. At one point, um, n- no, I guess at that young age, I was just still, it was just a lot of questions. I'd ask everyone. I'd talk mm-hmm. to my cousins about it. My older cousins, I would say, hey, like any of you know, you know, because they're closer to my mother's age. My mother is the youngest of her siblings as well. So she has, you know, nieces and nephews that are not too far from her age, you know? <laughs> and they would all tell me, Sandy, I don't know. But, you know, people would say that they would try to get it out of her and she never, she would never give them any information. Uh, then at one point, someone had called the house and asked for my mother. And when I asked who it is, he said his name was um, Michael. 
And I said to my mom, there's a guy named Michael on the phone for you. She snatched the phone out of my hand. She ripped it out of the wall. No. <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was, you know, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm like, is that my dad? Wait, that's my dad, isn't it? You know, like, she's like, I did not play that cool. I did not play that cool. But, you know, it, it wound up. So at this point, I'm like, yeah, oh God, it's maybe that's him. So now I'm like, do anybody know Michael? Who knows Michael? <laughs> Nobody ever had an answer. So just a little bit past this, I was 15 years old and um, I am still taking care of children, but I'm also doing a lot more of my own stuff on the streets these days. Um, I used to have to go cop their crack and stuff from the dealers. Sure. You get privileges to be able to do go out or something like that. Mm -hmm. And when he didn't have money, I would go to the dealer and ask her if she would be willing to front him and uh, pretty much just say, you know, for myself, like, please, like mm -hmm. this help me, you know, and um, I was held up at gunpoint. I was held up by knife point. You know, it's the projects you can, you know so many things happen and uh all, all because i'm copping drugs and <laughs> you know doing these things being so young though i i had zero fear you know i felt like i had my worst fears were in my own home you know mm -hmm. never feared anything on the streets so um at this point in my life and uh not too long after that it really got to the point to where i was taking control um and trying to take control of everything in my home, whether it be, you know, the kids and just how things needed to be, um, how I needed things to be for myself too. You know, if I, if I wanted to do things, I was taking control and allowing myself to do them. Um, so I had asked my mother if I could go to a school dance. This is, um, December 20th. The dance was 1992. Um, and I had like a winter home. dance, like a Christmas, it was, yeah, it was Christmas like a ball or something winter. Yeah. It was like a, a winter something, you know, a frost, you know, <laughs> frost, yeah. frost, yeah. Frost theme. Yeah. So, um, you know, I had said prior weeks before, if I could go, um, she had told me yes. So the day comes and my friends and my boyfriend and all the, you know, they're all coming to meet me and we're going to this thing together. And it was the first event that I had ever attended, you know, at the school. And, and um, <laughs> so I come downstairs, I'm all dressed, borrowed like clothes from my, one of my friends mm -hmm. to wear. And <laughs> I come down the steps and the way that our staircase was, it was like stairs and it's like a little landing. And then there's a couple more stairs, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm standing on the landing and um, my mother's husband says, where do you think you're going? I said, oh, I'm going to my dance tonight at school. And he's like, no, you're not. And I said, oh, yes, I am. And he said, no, you're going to stay home and you're going to decorate for Christmas. Mine just five days before Christmas. And guess what? They ain't get us no damn gifts. They ain't mm -hmm. ever buy a shit. Mm -hmm. And well, you know, I got IOUs a lot though. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And then you get some dollar store stuff, maybe, you know, or whatever, five and dime back then, you know? Sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, he tells me I'm not going and, and I say I am. And he tells me to stop talking back to him. And we continue to argue. And he gets up and he comes at me and he hits me. So I grab onto the railings and I swung my legs up and I kicked him and he flew across the room. Mm-hmm. And he got up and he pulled out his gun and he shot me. Right. Right in my chest. Needless to say, I didn't make it to my dance. Didn't make it to the dance. I, I'm, oh, I'm awake. Yeah, I feel like I just got pushed back, you know? So mm-hmm. I get up and I feel like I'm a little tight in my chest. So like, I can't breathe a little bit, right? But I am up and I am like, and I'm looking around and all of my siblings, they're up the stairs, they're on the couch, they're like all around. And I'm looking at them and they, one of my friends was right across the street, crossing the street, coming over. And he ran to the payphone and he called 911. My mother didn't even call the police. Wow. And then when asked why she didn't call the police, she was said she was in shock. She didn't know what to do. But she hadn't checked on me either at that point. But then she did come outside. Um, after the fact, after the cops were called, she came outside and I had passed out and she was smacking me in my face, telling me I better not die. When I, I woke up briefly, she was smacking me in my face, telling me I better not die. Um, and then after that, it's like you would see in a movie, I was being rolled through a hospital and all I seen was all the lights above uh-huh. me as I'm like being rolled in the hospital and, and I'm 15 years old at this point. But I was dressed up, you know, and I had borrowed clothes from my friends, mm-hmm. which, you know, her shirt had a big bullet hole. Yeah. In they're it. not getting those back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They cut off my new sneakers. That's the only thing that I did have that I bought with, of course, money that I got doing illegal shit. Right. Um, but I did get myself just a black pair of sneakers. It was oh. like, like um, BKs or LA mm-hmm. Beers. Yeah, yeah. LA, yeah, totally. Those Reeboks. Yep. Oh, that was the era. Yeah. So, and yeah, so I was in the hospital. At this point, that's when they do something. You see that? It takes for them to, to, you know, it takes for a child to be shot in order for, you know, the system to work for them. What a message. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which is really sad. And um, they took the children from my mother and placed them all with family. So each of my mother's siblings took a child or two. And, um, I was only in the hospital for four days and I signed myself out, um, because I went back and, you know, had to figure out what, what, what it was going to be. I was, I, I was so controlling. I really, um, I, that's all I can really think. Like I didn't want to lose control. And I felt like if I was gone too long, I'd lose control of the situation. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. Maybe it wasn't control. Maybe it was fear. Um, probably a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean control, control, and control and fear 
is such a way to, or control is a way to cope with the fear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But guess what? He went to jail. Finally, finally, somebody did something, you know, that's all I could think to myself. Like it took all these years, all these years of me reporting and telling and, you know, it's, it, and, and they always made it seem like it was a lie or an exaggeration, mm -hmm. you know, all these things like, I'd like to know how they thought that I had all this time in the world to just think of all these crazy ass lies that I go, I'm going to go and tell everyone, you know, no, it was my life that I was living and, uh, you know, and the people, there were so many people that seen and knew for, but they were always so scared to say anything. You know, even to this day, if I see like an old neighbor or something, or one of the, you know, people that lived in, and they would say, you know, I'm so sorry, like, we could never help you, or that you had to go through that. And, you know, we all, you know, it's like so many people knew, they knew. Our house was roach infested. You walked past the house, there was roaches crawling out of the house. You know, it was like they were sitting on a step waiting for you to come home from school. Like, yeah. That must feel so maddening. Oh, horrible, horrible. And, but he, he, my mother testified for him in court as well. Right. When I turned 18, I went and got all the transcripts mm -hmm. from my childhood incidents and um, from the shooting. And um, she, t she testified that, you know, it was an accident or something and he didn't mean it. And at that point in my life, I, I knew that I, it was time for me to start pulling away. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I still, <laughs> I still knew that, you know, it was, I don't think I was ready. I wasn't ready to let it go right away. I still had younger siblings um that were what three and a newborn like she was one right. you know so and at you know i still had to take care of them but of course when i got out of the hospital there was everybody was still with my aunts and uncles right and and to clarify um, being with your aunts and uncles while being separated is not ideal. Aunts and uncles were safer, better, Absolutely. healthier. Those people. Mm -hmm. And they had also like, not done anything all this time. My grandmother, my grandmother did when she wanted to, you know, um, she got involved when she wanted to, she kind of, um, I don't think she really ever had uh, the control over my mother and she never wanted to put too much on my mother. I don't know. Um, now my grandmother's husband, which was, is technically my step grandfather, who I called my grandfather mm -hmm. was the most amazing man that I had ever met in my life. You know, um, 
and he would try to get involved. <clears throat> but they would shut him down, you know what I mean? And pretty much make it seem like he had no say or no place, hmm. you know? Um, but he literally was the one person who always made me feel like um, I was normal, you know, mm -hmm. and not, um, when I was with him, it was like the burdens were gone. You know, he'd take me fishing or he had a garden over in New Jersey where he was originally from, even though, um, he lived in the city, his family had a lot of land and, and they had a garden and we'd go over and pick from his garden. He had a boat. He'd take me out in the boat and go fishing me and my cousin. Um, and, and he hated, he hated them all. He hated all, all, I think he, he hated my mother. He hated, you know, I don't know. I guess he didn't, but he, um, I could tell he had so much resentment for them, you know what I mean? And the way that they handled things. And, you know, I think I can remember like when she would keep having kids and he would just say, when's enough enough. Yeah. Of these poor kids, you know, and, um, It's, 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 it's hard to think about all the, for me right now, it's really hard to think about the adults that weren't doing anything. Yeah. Well, you know what, back then there was a lot of, you know, mind your business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's still, that's still happening, but yeah. And it's hard, but, it, and it's also hard for me to think about a man, this, this step-grandfather being so kind and seeing what's going on, but not not doing certain things about it right and and i but i'm thinking from the like perspective of the serenity prayer he's he's doing what he can yeah which is to take you take you to the garden yeah right and take you fishing and um he can't change so much but he's trying to offer you some like peace and fun and normalcy Absolutely. and that was the best he could do it was really wonderful really wonderful that he was there yeah and then um <laughs> I, re I remember um when i got shot so after i got out of the hospital i went um and stayed at my one aunt's house for a few days and then I wound up going to live with my other aunt, who was the cop. Because now I am in school. I have to, you know, I have to figure out the new school that I'm going to now. Because now they're not letting me go back into the home until there's a clearance, you know. All the kids were returned to her except for me at this point. Um I don't remember how long after it was that they were returned, but they were returned to her shortly after. And he was in jail and he was only sentenced to seven to 15 years and served seven on good behavior. On good behavior. The most racist man that I ever met in my life became a Muslim in jail. And, you know, 
here's the, here's the kicker. You ready for this? Can you imagine being a child, even not even being a child, just being someone who was tormented and abused for so long by a man and he's finally in jail. And then one day you walk into the corner store and he's on the front of the inquire. And it says, man helps to, you know, to change prison, whatever, whatever. And there he is with his new uh, Muslim brothers, right? That, that they say that he's, it's, it's, it says, um, I wish I could remember. I could pull it up though. He's like a model of rehabilitation. Correct. So everybody gets back with your mom. You're living with your aunt. Mm -hmm. And I'm determined to go back home. Okay. You are I in an amazing situation living with my aunt. I really am the best. Like uh, I had my own room. <laughs> <laughs> I had sheets on my bed. <laughs> Everything was clean, but I didn't know how to live like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was hard for me to live that way. Sure. That's a really abrupt transition. It was very, um, there was always food. There was everything that normalcy, there was normalcy, right? Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to deal with normalcy. And then I could only think about my siblings and what they're going through at this point, you know, cause even though I know now that he's gone, everybody's swarming in to help. So my mother winds up enjoying her freedom a whole lot more and uh you know now that he's gone you, you know her her drug use was um not like his drug use you know like uh i, I don't know that she ever smoked crack herself she probably did at some point mm -hmm. but she wasn't an avid everyday crack smoker Mm -hmm. um so now she's she's got money and you know she's uh because he's not taking you know all of it all month long so now she's trying to live up her her life a little bit and you know do things for herself or for the kids um the house is still a mess though, not clean, nothing's getting done there, but now she's taking a vacation or she's going out to the bar with her friends. Mm -hmm. And this is stuff that she would have never have done before. So now that lifestyle is kind of, you know, making her, you know, feel her oats of freedom. And uh, I wind up leaving my aunts, which I should have never done, but I did and, and went back to take care of the kids and get back to my neighborhood where I was really familiar with, you know? And then I, I had to start figuring out how I'm gonna take care of all these kids while she's out running the streets now. So. New challenge. Oh yeah. 
so we started the buddy system when it came to the kids you know it was like uh every other one watched every other one mm-hmm. you know an older one watched over a younger one and kind of got a little pattern going that that worked for us to be able to make sure things were done homework's done chores are done baths are done you know all these things that were not routine mm-hmm. our home you know they're becoming routine uh, i am totally skeeved being back in this home compared to being in the home that i was in with my aunt mm-hmm. but now i assume the role of the parent mm-hmm. and i'm more than ever more than ever what she's going to do and what she's not going to do and what you know not necessarily um only when it involved the kids you want to go out and drink yourself to death or go out and snort 20 lines and kill yourself so be it Mm -hmm. but when it comes to these kids this is what we're going to do and not going to do um my sister after me she took on a lot of the burden she took on a lot of burden with me you know because i depended on her to babysit to watch the kids, make sure they're all doing what they need to do while I go and I do what I got to do in order to make money for us to be able to, you know, all these things. And I'm in a one bedroom apartment. One bedroom apartment. And I'm pregnant with my own child. My first child of my own. Wow. And you are in your, how old are you at this point? 17. 17. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Now it's like <laughs> everything is, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I wound up having my daughter. And, uh, she was only about three months old and, uh, I was arrested for attempted murder. Um, well, it wound up getting, it was aggravated assault. Wound up getting aggravated assault, reckless endangerment, uh, wound up being my final charges. Mm-hmm. Um, and my daughter was three months old. So I was in jail. I went to jail for a, l- a little bit before I was released on house arrest. They did, they did release me on house arrest. And that's when I realized I had way too much anger in me. Mm-hmm. Because now all these people who had made me feel like shit my whole life. Like, this is like, I... I have the power that I never realized that I had. And I, I did, I, I was, I definitely did not let anybody walk all over me from that point forward. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever put their hands on me. If you put your hands on me, it was another story. And I, I, you know, I made sure of that. And, um, yeah, it was rough. (laughs) It was rough. I definitely, when I think about it now, I think about, just the anger that I had and, and the feeling of having control 
at that point was such a rush. Mm -hmm. I I knew, and I said to myself, like, nobody's ever going to walk all over me like that ever again, Mm -hmm. you know, but it just shows you how damaged I was. This makes it so easy to understand how, how the cycle happens. Yeah. Like it just makes it, you're just laying out like, this is, this is a step-by-step. This is how it happened. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a very hard cycle to break, especially when it comes to, um, you know, I never got into drugs. Thank God. I never wanted to be that person. The most I ever did was smoke weed. I never did no, no hard drugs, you know, and especially not cocaine or anything like that, you know? Um, but the, when you find ways to make money and you know that you can make money doing things that are not legal, um, that is an addiction in itself, right? So even though you don't have the addiction of the drugs, you have the addiction of the want for something that, you know, comes easy. Comes easy and, you, and you're coming from such a place of like deficit to not oh. have anything, to not have anything, to be, to be budgeting hot dogs. Oh yeah. And then be offered this opportunity where you're like, wait, I do this and I do this and I get this much money. Oh yeah. Oh Oh, yeah. Man alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, for a lot of people, drugs come along with, you know, uh, whether it be prostitution or drug dealing itself, you know, um, people find that that's easy ways to make money when you're um when you're in a place of poverty and but yeah you're so driven because you know that you need to make that money in order to survive and in order for children to survive you know right whatever it is that you have to do and at that point it becomes very selfish you don't you don't care who you're hurting you don't care what people think. All you care about is that you're you're able to take care of yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to this day, that is, um, you know, some things never leave you, and and that drive is is something that I think is always there. You, you know, it's like I know that if I needed to, I could always find a way to make money. You know, sure. But some people think to themselves, like, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. Can't work if I can't do this. What am I going to do? I feel like I always have, I will always find something. It might not be legal, but if I have to, I would always have something. Right. Your, your drive to survive is stronger than, yeah. than your drive to obey. Correct. Or your need to obey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you. I mean, it's definitely has, it's something that stays with you. The trauma of, of that kind of childhood. Mm-hmm. 
it's something that comes into you, follows you into relationships, whether it be with your relationships and the way that you raise your children. I was so protective of my children and never let them go anywhere. Never let them do anything that I was not there. At least my older three, mm-hmm. right? My younger two, it seems a little more, um, I, I've, I've, I have a little bit more of an understanding and I try to be a little bit more um, lenient with them. And But my older ones were never, I mean, my son was 14 years old and he wasn't allowed to leave my street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not normal. Right. Um, and I, and I can see that I, you know, that it wasn't right, but it was a fear and that fear mm-hmm. makes that control, um, come out and it's just, uh, it's sad. It's something that I work on every day. It, it's never, um, you know, it's never something that fully um what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say fully under control, but fully um because <laughs> the whole point is that the control right. it's not under control. Fully fully you know, dissipates, fully leaves you, fully heals, yeah, resolves healing. or recovers something. Mm-hmm. Healing is always something that uh is important. And, and yeah, I think we got off track with my dad a little bit though, right? Yeah, that's okay. That's what these stories do. Yeah. Because it's all still a part of the story. That's oh, the yeah. thing, you know, it's like. Yeah. Oh, I, I just remembered something, right? So one remember when I turned 18 and I went and got all that paperwork. Yeah. I went up to family court. Mm-hmm. I asked family court if there was ever a custody or anything, you know. And the document that they were able to give me only had a first name, Michael. Ding, 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 ding. Right. A man named Michael called and your mom ripped out the phone. Mm-hmm. So now. <laughs> That's so resourceful. How at age 18 did you know to go to city? Did you know to do all that? You just knew? Um. I don't know if I was 18, if I would know that I could go to court and get records. I was absolutely very resourceful. Um, I was extremely, I mean, I, I asked a lot of questions. I always asked people. I talked to people. I, I was very resourceful in that matter to where I, I, I always had to get my answers. Mm-hmm. So I would just keep asking until somebody, and then somebody said, "Oh, how about you check this?" Or oh, right, yeah, that? you'd have to go to the record. You have to go to court for that. You have to go to the records. Yeah, amazing. And the okay. Other thing was my public def- def- defender, or my 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 um, you know, my the the, the attorney mm-hmm. that I had when I after I got shot, right? We came very close with her. We stayed in contact. So she would give me little, you know, information here and there on things that I could do to try to figure stuff out. Great. Okay. Amazing. Okay. She she would call me and stuff. I I had her number at any time I could call her. Um, And she was just like a public defender. She was, you know, an attorney that was given to me through the state, you know? 
mm-hmm. to represent. But you, she was no, she was the the, the, the attorney, the district attorney for yeah, she was the district attorney for the state prosecuting him. Mm-hmm. But you know, of course, because I was a minor, right? I was not, you know, I couldn't press charges, so the state pressed charges for me. Right on your yeah. in your yeah. on your behalf. Correct. So now you know his name is Michael. Oh, now I assume his name is Michael. Assume his name is Michael. Right? Right. But the things are falling into place, right? We mm-hmm. got this called. It says just Michael, no last name on this paperwork. And so I am looking for this Michael. Now at this time, I am watching these, I don't know, documentaries or something on television and I'm seeing all this stuff about DNA, right? So now I'm thinking to myself, oh, I could just go take a DNA test. So I go to the court and I say, can I take a DNA test? And then we're like, well, who are you taking the DNA test with? <laughs> oh, that's and so I'm, cute. And I'm yeah. like, well, myself, can I just give you my DNA? And, you know, and they're yeah. like, no, nah, that's not how this works, you know? So <laughs> I was kind of on my own at that point. Mm-hmm. You're so close though. You're so close. So, so close, right? Um, I got the right idea here. Totally. And uh, of course, for, for several years, it was just like there, there wasn't too much that I could do. And then computers came out. And I was like, oh, man, by this computer, it's like, <laughs> you know, dial up the whole nine. And I'm thinking to myself, like, um, I, with this computer, like, I'm going to be able to just do anything I want to do, you know? Of course, I realized quickly that I am a computer illiterate because, you know, there's, I know nothing other than we purchased one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But you're right in that you can almost do anything. Yeah. Once you figure it out, right? One finger at a time. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm doing whatever. Um, I'm getting people to help me who do know about computers to tell me whatever it is I need to know. How do I do this things or this thing? Um. And now I am searching for Michaels on the white pages and I'm doing all these things. I knew where my mother lived at the time when I got pregnant. So now I'm looking through to see if, you know, I'm, I'm, I want a last name, still don't have a last name. Michaels. God, could it be a more, <laughs> I was the worst. Like, <laughs> could it be a more common name to be searching my first name only? It was the worst. Uh, then I, I go to the library, right? Because now the library is doing like some free class, you know, to learn how to type or learn how to use a computer, you know, computer one. Mm-hmm. So I, I go to the library and while I'm there, I realize there's this genealogy thing going on, right? And they have like this group. So now I'm just standing back and I'm listening, I'm watching, and I'm like, these people can help me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Of course, these are just family tree builders, you know, they're, they're not like, you know, so, you know, I quickly learned that you need to know the people before you can add the people, right? <laughs> right, 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 right. But it's amazing to think of you like kind of one, I don't know, it's like one little step clue, like you're so, you're getting there though. Mm-hmm. So then I find out that, uh, you know, that there is going to be 
some kind of this DNA test that is going to be a, a, a commercial DNA test. And I'm like, okay, you know, uh, sign me up. I want every, all that information. And I, and I, I did, I did my research. I got all the information and ancestry. I sent them. Uh, I mean, I don't think ancestry tests actually dropped until 2010. 11, something like that. Um, so before that, what did I do before that? So now I go to YouTube and make, you don't look me up either, I swear. <laughs> and I make a YouTube video looking for my dad. And, um, at this point, my cousin had gotten married in California, right? So I go out to Cali and some family members went out. My aunt's husband, now my aunt who I had moved in with and mm -hmm. who was like the amazing one, mm -hmm. she had passed away at this mm -hmm. point of breast cancer, Fuck. as well as one of my other aunts had mm -hmm. also passed away of breast cancer. So my aunt's husband had came out and he said to me, uh, you know, I said to him, course because you know you need you leave no stone unturned so i i say to him so hey did you ever know who my dad was were you around at that time <laughs> did you ever hear any stories and he says actually i think that your dad was this guy named james oh okay. i said okay so that's a left turn he says, I think that it was your aunt's ex-boyfriend. Mm -hmm. He said, now, can't say 100%, but I remember hearing something that this guy, James Guckin, you know, um, was your aunt's ex, you know, prior to me. And he was a plumber. And uh, that that your mom may have dated him at that time as well, or something. Mm -hmm. So I said, "Oh, okay, then this is what we're doing here." So I find him. I go to his house and knock on his door. Of course, you go to the Gluckin house, the Gluckin plumber mm -hmm. house. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go to his house, and his wife answers. And, you know, I just asked if he was home and mm -hmm. he was not, but he wound up pulling up in his plumbing truck. <laughs> okay, pulls up this plumber truck. I look at this guy and I'm like, there's no way in hell. He's like five foot six. Mm -hmm. Here's my five foot nine ass. Yeah. I'm like that right there eliminates, eliminates the possibility right off the top. I look at him and I'm like, hmm, no, I don't think this is not the guy, right? So I say to him, did you know a woman named so-and-so, my aunt? He goes, name sounds familiar. He's like, I said, maybe back in like 70s, you know? <laughs> and he goes, I did a lot of drugs in the 70s. He's yeah. like, <laughs> I said, did you drive a red convertible? He said, yes, I did. <laughs> He's like, and I slept with a lot of women. I was like, okay, not a problem. You know, if you think of anything, you let me know, you know, 
but I, he didn't know my mom's name. He didn't recognize that. He believed that he recognized my aunt's name though. Um, so that was that I, 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 I didn't feel it. I didn't feel it. That's what to say. Like and nothing feel, is ringing any bells. Yeah. And I feel like I'm going to feel this when that happens. Right. So I continued to just dig and now I'm stuck. This James, James is sticking with me. Michael has no relevance in my vocabulary, in my brain. Um, no matter, even if I keep going back to it, it, it's not sticking with me. James is what sticks with me. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time I had, hmm, I had, uh, here's the funny part. My son's middle name is James. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. So I almost feel like I probably already knew before the, the you know, so I'm, I'm digging James, 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 um, not really finding anything at that point, but ancestry gets back to me and I receive an email. Mm -hmm. We want you to be one of our first, mm -hmm. best. first 100 people. I think it was or whatever. Like I have Whoa. to really see if I could find that email. You were like an OG. Okay. You know, um, they want me to you know, purchase the test, you know, be the first to like, you know, like invite you to give them money. Yeah. 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 So now I'm like, oh, I have to do this. This is the answers I've been waiting for. And I test and my results come back. And I think you already know that that takes up your life. Right. Yeah. For a period of time. I mean, I think I went a good seven months of not cleaning, cooking, or <laughs> just obsession because That's I sat on that computer figuring this and out, figure everything out, building my trees, mm -hmm. my, you know, trying to learn what centimorgans and segments and all these things are. And, you know, how do I use this and how do I do it? And I'm contacting every single person on here. <laughs> And then I realized I got ways to go. Um, but I had, I had figured out by this point, oh, there was a lot of family secrets that were coming out at this point because, um, you know, when I was able to do trees and research and I was like, hmm, that's not what this one's, you know, I said this, this one, yeah. some of this is not adding up now. Um, I wound up solving many other cases throughout my family. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Before I could solve my own. Um, my, my, okay. My mother, her sisters and her cousins all, it was almost like a weird pregnancy pack, right? <laughs> That's not what it was. Did that just rub again? Sorry. It did, but it's good. It, that's not what it was, but they all wound up having kids like right around the same time, right? None of their kids had their dads. None, of, none of them. So now it's a bunch of women with their children and they all move out to California with my mother's cousin in LA. And they go and they're out there for few months you know what i mean they're out there for like six seven months 
And mind you, you've got all these infants, no baby daddies, like you're all running from something. And they're living out here in Cali, living out there in Cali. Mm -hmm. That's what we do out here. We live. And, uh, you know, none of their kids got dads. Hmm. Whether it be estranged husbands, abusive husbands, um, husbands that leave because he probably knew that kid wasn't his. And then my mother, who just supposedly doesn't know who her kid's baby dad is. Mm -hmm. So the one, my mother's cousin's child, she was told that her mother's ex-husband was her dad, but he wanted nothing to do with her. He left when she was one. Um, come to find out, it wasn't even her dad. Mm-hmm. And she's finding this out at 40 some years old through me doing research. Right. So you're almost, you're like at the forefront, you're sort of pioneering a lot of this discovery experience. Oh yeah. In the early days, in the early days of this. And not only are you, you're pioneering it for yourself and trying to figure it out, but you are like, you're like, a, you're ostensibly, I mean, essentially a search angel for your family members, but also the bearer of information to your exposing NPE situations. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And watching the fallout, watching the emotional fallout in, in loved ones. Adoptions, whatever. And, you know, it came to the point where I was telling everybody, I'm telling everybody to test everybody I met. Oh my God, you should take an ancestry DNA test. And I am literally saying this to people not even related to me. I don't care who you are. I, I was, uh, I mean, they should have been paying me because a ton of people tested because of me. Mm -hmm. Did you hear that ancestry? Did you hear that? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) but I would just tell everybody, everybody take this test, hoping that one day it'll come that. You know, uh, I'm, I'm somebody's going to test, and it. it's going to be my sibling or my dad or mm-hmm. my grandpa or right. someone. Somebody, you know? if you can get everybody. So then, but I never, uh, I've stopped close to 80 cases that were not my own. That's amazing. That's amazing, CT. <laughs> now, mind you, most of the DNAs are linked to me. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that I that you know they said. I'd send them a message. Hi, I see we're related. Let's try to figure this out. Well, I don't know who might, oh, I can help you with that. <laughs> and, and that's how we went, you know? Um, and that, that's how it went. And then eventually um, I received some DNA matches for these women within a month of each other. One's matching me at like a, a three... 388 the other one's matching me at like a 415 i'm saying who the hell are these ladies but that's not a lot right no no yeah. it's not a lot yeah it's not a lot but it's enough right to okay. say who are you right uh-huh uh-huh so then i am doing research and now i know it's gonna sound weird i'm very intuitive and when i get like i said how i stuck with that name james it stuck with me and that's all that i could play with in my head because that um, something's telling me that that is correct. So now when I am trying to figure out connections, that's something else that I do. 
but my brain just tells me when it's right and when it's wrong, right? So I am, I'm going through these ladies and I'm saying to myself, this is my grandmother's line. Both of these ladies are on my grandmother's line, but how is this possible? How's this possible? I don't know my grandmother, but how do I know this? I just do. I don't know. So now I'm going, I need to figure out the connection between these two ladies and my grandmother, whoever she is, because I don't know who she is. You know, it's your paternal grandmother. I do. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you somehow you just know. Okay. Yeah. Somehow I just know. And, I'm, and, and so I start digging and I try to find a connection between the two, not finding the connection. I find these lines and I'm, I'm, they're not related to each other. So how is this, you know, possible? But that's all I kept saying to myself. Then both, neither one of these women answered me. Um, messaging and messaging mm -hmm. a response. So now I'm, I'm searching, I'm searching names. I'm searching, looking for phone numbers, addresses, whatever I could find. I'm calling them, calling them, leaving voicemails at every number that I could possibly get. And then I finally talk to them and I say to one, the one that I finally got in touch with first, her name is Adeline. And I say, you know, hi Adeline, you know, and I tell her who I am. And I say, you know, I'm trying to figure out our connection. You know, did you take an ancestry DNA test? She says, yes, I did. I don't know how to work it though. <laughs> okay. You're I like, don't worry, I got that covered. Been working on That's it for years. I said, I see that we're um, related through the Borella line and Tenuto, Borella Tenuto line. And she said, oh yes, my dad's, you know, Joseph Borella. And uh, my grandmother was, I mean, uh, yeah, my grandmother was Teresa Tenuto. And my grandfather was Frank Barella. Okay. I'm definitely related to that line. Well, my, my grandfather had a second wife, uh, Maria Passanti. Nope. She's not my line. Tenudos. Mm -hmm. yeah, I already, it's the Tenudo line. And she's like, oh, okay. So then that could only be my dad's. Uh, so my dad, my grandmother and my grandfather only had X amount of children together. The other children were from his second wife. Yep. Got all that information. I have, I've built this whole tree out. So now I see where she fits in. I just don't know how she fits in, you know? Mm -hmm. And I say to her, you know, she said, Oh, I have two brothers. I'm like, really? You only have two brothers. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Okay. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's my grandfather's side. And I just go back and continue to work on, you know, she tells me her brothers have her one brother has two kids and her other brother has no children. Um, but it's not, it's not fitting for me. It's not just not working in my head. So then I go to the other woman and um, I couldn't find information on her for the longest time. Um, but I, because she had her marriage name on there, right. not her name. Right. So I'm, I'm digging for this woman and it's not coming up. I'm not finding anything. Uh, you know, her husband was like, everything was in her husband's name, you know? So now I'm like digging, but I did eventually get to speak to her and I, she gives me her siblings. She thinks I'm on her dad's side of the family. So I'm like, okay. So now she's telling me her, her, I already have her dad and her siblings from her dad, but I'm saying, I don't know. I don't 
see a connection based off of these links that, you know, is there any way that you have it? You don't have any other siblings. There's your mom or dad didn't have any other children. Oh yes. My mom had a daughter, her oldest daughter who left when she was 13. She left home. Okay. What is her name? And as soon as she tells me her name, I knew that that was it. So then I call the other, the other woman. Do you know a woman by the name of Jeannie? Mm -hmm. And she says, I don't know. No. And I said, did your dad or mom have any other children? And she said, my dad did have a child, but we weren't, we didn't know her. Bingo. Ding, ding, ding. There's my grandmother and I search for her and I, um, I figure out she passed away in 2011, but I looked at her obituary, her legacy, you know, mm -hmm. the, like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking at her legacy and I'm looking at this picture. I'm like, this is my grandmother. I'm reading what they're saying about this, about her. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is my grandmother. This is her. This is her. So this is my grandmother. So now I look through her children. I'm finding her children and I find her oldest son, James. What year is this? This was just this year. I know. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to bring everybody up to date. Like this is like really recent. This has been a long journey. COVID, COVID was a blessing and a curse, right? Mm -hmm. Because I have all this time now on my hands because of COVID to dig into this and talk to these women that I've been trying to reach out to for years, right? And uh, I, I read this obituary and see that she had passed and I find her children and see that her oldest son, James, has passed away. And I knew, I knew that that was it. I knew that it was him. I found that her youngest son mm -hmm. also passed away. Hmm. And that she had one other son who's only 11 years older than me and three daughters. Oh. So I knew that that was it, that her son was my dad. So I reached out to his siblings and my, uh, I reached out to my siblings and I mean, to his siblings. Um, one of my aunts and my uncle and my uncle was very receptive. He was nervous, very nervous, but he was receptive to talk to me mm -hmm. and what I had to say. And of course, I think that they thought I was crazy at first, Sure. but then he was able to tell me that my dad had other children. So, and I had reached out to my sisters, mm -hmm. uh, two, two of my sisters and, um, my one sister, my older sister never had an older sister. Yeah. You know? mm -hmm. I reached out and now I got a sister who's a year older than me and one that's 12 days younger than me. Oh, hello, James. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> the older sister says, Oh, I've always waited. I've always been waiting. I've been waiting for this call. I said, what do you mean by that? 
I was like, how could you have known about me? Nobody knew anything like, no. And she's like, no, I always, my dad always knew he had other kids. Like, you know, but nobody in the family ever knew who they were, you know? I think my dad was just a major man whore and made as much babies as he could mm -hmm. within a few years. Um, Cause I, he died, he was killed. He was shot and killed. Whoa. When I was six. Mm -hmm. He was shot and killed. Um, wow. by, by a native American man um, who he was, my dad was dating his daughter and that was unacceptable. Hmm. And the man went and hid back on the reserve after he killed my dad, but he was eventually caught off of the reserve and was able wow. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was young. We were all young. You know, he had multiple children within a very short period of time with different women. Um, and we believe that there's possibly more that just haven't, you know, because my dad was killed in Detroit, Michigan. Um, so he was traveling. Oh, he, yeah, he went to, he went to Illinois. He went to Mi Mississippi. Um, and he went to Detroit. As far as we know, they're the ones that we know that he was in. <laughs> because when he was killed, here's the best, right? So, um, the family had said to me, you know, of course my uncles and all them, they were all young. You know, my grandmother had handled the funeral and stuff for my dad. They didn't ever know too much, but, um, all they did know is that, you know, for some reason it took them so long to, um, to notify my grandmother that my dad was dead. My dad was killed on his birthday. Hmm. He was killed on his 27th birthday. 27? Hmm. Mm -hmm. He was killed on his 27th birthday, um, which is March 19th. And he wasn't, the, the family was not notified until almost April 1st. I think it was the call, uh, or no, I think it was uh, like, yeah, like something like the 20 something maybe. That uh, took a long time notified yes and then um you know why though right because they were looking for the family of a michael oh my gosh james aka michael mcdowell michael mcdowell was his alias oh my gosh he had another name and it was Michael. So your mom knew him as Michael. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I just thought that it was really crazy, right? So his, I got a copy of his death certificate. Mm -hmm. And it says his name, AKA Michael McDowell. So they were looking for the family of this Michael McDowell. Now, here's the best, right? Because now, you know, I had to do this too. I have all the documents from his death. Wow. Of course from you do. The, all uh -huh. the investigation reports have all that. Six women claimed to have been his girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh 
Michael McDowell. Six women. Yeah, he was a tomcat. Only two of them knew his his real identity. One wow. of them, be, one of them being a woman in Mississippi, who came forward um, and actually told them, "You're looking for Michael McDowell's family. That is not Michael McDowell. Mm-hmm. That is James." Oh my gosh! Yeah. But she knew, she knew him. She met him as Michael. Mm-hmm. But she, uh, she found out he did tell her his real identity. Now he had told her that he uses the alias because he's wanted for murder. But I found no proof of that. So I don't know how true mm-hmm. that Because I think I would have found something by now, right? Right. I think with the research you've done, I think you would have found that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that he just told women that to impress them? Oh, yeah. I think so. <laughs> he just said, like, I'm wanted for murder, so I have this other name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. No, I definitely think that that's what it was. I mean, I don't I don't think, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And if he was wanted, I'd be able to find something. Right. I right. So, so the, and this is, this is so recent, this, this sort of, I don't want to call it a conclusion because I feel like these stories never end, but this part of it where you, so, so how did that feel for you? Oh, I was, I was so overwhelmed when like I, I asked the half sister to take the test and she was like, yes, absolutely. I sent her a kit Mm -hmm. and I sent her a 23 and me because I didn't want to wait six to eight weeks. Right. So I sent her 23 and me, which was two to four weeks. And the results were literally back in three weeks. And um, I remember saying to myself, this is it. I've done it. I already know. I, I feel it. It's done. Like I'm already having that, you know. Um, you, you know? look elated. <laughs> yeah, just talking about it right now. It's like your whole so energy has changed. Yeah. It's so crazy. And uh, so I was like, you know, I know this is it. This is so I have to now I'm. Um, I'm like so excited. I'm going to have this test come back and it's going to say half sibling. And of course, 23andMe does say half sibling. Mm-hmm. Like ancestry, which says close family. Right. Um, so that day that the test came back, I woke up. It was like, I don't know, it was like five something in the morning. Mind you, my sister's in Colorado. So it's like two hours earlier there. Mm-hmm. It's morning. And I get up and we promised that neither one of us would open the results unless the other, so I'm blowing up her phone 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm calling her, I'm texting her, I'm FaceTiming her. I am, yeah. she wakes up, she's like, can I at least get coffee before we do this? And I was like, you better make it quick because I can't wait no longer. The results are in and we need to do Hmm. <laughs> And damn straight, when I tell you it was dead silence, um, I said, are you ready? Let's do this. And both of us opened our laptops and logged in and went and looked at the match. And and I, my husband woke up because he's like, what the fuck are you Yeah, saying? what are you doing? <laughs> like, it's freaking six o'clock in the morning now or whatever, five something in the morning, yeah. And he comes down and then, uh, and uh, I am just I'm getting ready to, we're getting ready to hit the button you know here we go we hit the button and and uh we're on facetime as well so now i'm looking at her she's looking at me and we look nothing alike nothing (laughs) and um 
and it comes and it comes out, it shows, and it's half sibling. Yeah. And I just start bawling. I'm bawling, crying, and and we're on FaceTime, and and she's just like, I knew it. I told you, I knew it. And and my husband's like, all right, so now he's comforting me, and he's like, you know, <laughs> like fucking did it. I fucking did it. So all these awesome. Years, finally, fucking did it. You know. And it was great. And it was such a great feeling. And my sister is just great. She's, um, you know, and she likes to bust my balls and call me her little sister. Cause it's <laughs> like weird. Like she's like five foot nothing. So again, she can't say anything. She's like, I think she's like five, five maybe or something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm your big little sister. So let's get yeah. that right. You know, but our dad was over six foot. She just took after her mom, I guess. Mm-hmm grandmother's dad's side of the family was short too so strong short jeans i guess and you have since then seen a picture of michael right and he and james michael mcdowell aka james um and you guys are like twins i don't know i don't think i am my son okay you and your son okay him and my my son has so many of his features um they have the same facial structure same jaw structure his nose his eye structure yeah my my youngest son he looks so much like him but you felt like you felt like you could see the resemblance i knew it i knew it even though even though i feel like um when i like i don't look like them i don't Mm -hmm. feel like i look like many of them even though my uncle and his wife seemed to think I, they say I look like my grandmother, mm. which I can see similarities um, between us. But the first time I met my uncle, which was one year ago yesterday. Oh, wow. I met him and his wife for the first time. And she just stared at me and she kept looking at me and I just was a little, little creepy. You know? mm. And She goes, I'm sorry, but you remind me so much of his mother just like your face the facial um your your facial expressions that Mm -hmm. you make you talk and stuff a lot of that just reminds me so much of her the way that you you know and I was like oh okay you know Mm -hmm. I mean it's it's been great my my cousin actually is down right now um which is my dad's youngest brother's daughter we've built a great bond and relationship. My sister actually comes in on the 17th and she'll be here for a week. So we'll be seeing each other again. We talk weekly though. And uh, she did not have the best of life. You know, she, she was another one. She really didn't know our dad because, you know, she was only seven Mm -hmm. when he died. She was raised by other men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and in a foster care system. So yeah, we bonded in a lot of ways, but I mean, in the process, I, I, when I was doing all my research, I had joined some Facebook groups, you know, social media groups. And that got me, um, helped me with a, a lot of things as well, you know, um, just support and information. And then I seen they were doing a meet and greet in Philadelphia. And I was like, oh, I got to get on this. And uh, I signed up and, and 
signed up for it and thought that that would help me. Cause of course that was a few years back before I had really, I, I still hadn't figured anything out. And so I was still very um, sad in my heart. Right. I guess mm -hmm. that's how you can put it, you know, the not knowing is, excuse me, it's weighed heavy on me over it's the long, years. Yeah. It's a very long time to carry yeah. not knowing. So with that being said, I, um, you know, I found this group and I thought that I, you know, Hey, I'm going to go and meet these people and, you know, people who could understand how I feel because it's hard for anybody who doesn't to understand, you know, who hasn't been in that situation to understand. And so me and my husband went, he came with me and, uh, and that's where I met, you know, uh, some of the most amazing women that I have ever met in my life at this Philadelphia meet and greet, you know, and um, I don't know if I can say names on here. But, you, know. you can say them. I think you can say oh, them. Oh, am I allowed? Okay. So yeah, that's where I met Erin and mm -hmm. Cindy mm -hmm. and Kathy. Founders of Higher Earth Hope and Healing Retreat. Correct. Correct. Erin and Cindy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some other ladies. Mm-hmm. And it was great. And then um, when we had stayed in contact, of course, after the after that meet and greet, mm -hmm. and um, Aaron and Cindy had said, hey, we should start a retreat group or something. We should go on a retreat or, you know, and, uh, and we're all like, hell yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm an original. I'm an OG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're one of the, yeah, you're, uh, yeah. What's that called? I want to say you were in on the ground floor. Yeah. Yeah. In on the, yeah. in on the ground floor. And that has been, um, even after now knowing it's still something that gives me such satisfaction and growth for healing. Mm -hmm. Cause it's not like it just goes away once you know because there's always going to be that unanswered questions and emotions. Um, you know, it, it, it is sad that I, I will never get to hear his voice or to see his face in person or, you know, know any of these things, you know, and, and you always get them people that are like, Oh, but you can't miss what you never had. Right. Mm. Oh, but you can. <laughs> Especially when you're like me and you're just so in tune with things. It's so weird. Um, hard to explain, to be honest, but I, I just, I feel things just different, I guess. Mm -hmm. I feel like mm -hmm. I feel different. I don't know. Some people, you know, they always say, oh, well, just, you know, do this or do that. None of that works for me. Mm -hmm. It works. I have to do it. And, and the retreat helps me do that. That helps me to work through. I find that talking about my situation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. helps me to heal. And a lot of times in everyday life, you don't have time to do that or you don't, it's not a fit situation. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the retreat, yeah, the, re yeah, the retreats and the gatherings like uh, open, open up the space mm -hmm. for, for a whole lot of things that are just out of context otherwise. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm hmm. 
I mean, you can't heal if, if you don't try, you always have to try no matter how you do it. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your story. You're, you, you're such an open book. Um, and I think it's so important for everybody to, to talk about how these, there's all these stories and they're so different, but so, but the connection is this NPE experience, um, or this NPE situation. And you, and, and you didn't, I, you know, like, I don't, I don't know that you, you even meant to do this, but it's like, you've become, uh, you're such a like model of resiliency and, and, and healing and strength, but also being you're true to your authentic, you're true to yourself. It's just like, you're just, I just think the MPE community is so lucky to have you. I'm lucky to have them. They help be who I am, you know? Yeah, it's a really accepting group. Like people really come from all walks of life. And oh, absolutely. Um, people come and really be, be, be who they are. Yeah. Like it's some, important. yeah, it's like something I've never seen before. It's important. And, you know, everybody can find somebody that they can connect with. You mm -hmm. know, not everybody connects with each other, but right. find somebody that they have some kind of a connection with. And, and sometimes that's all you need to help you to the next step in life, you know? I'm not ashamed at all to say that one of the very first moments that Sandy and I shared was taking shots of Jack Daniels honey whiskey together. <laughs> and I knew then that she was special. Um, and I hadn't even really seen anything yet. Sandy is real and authentic in a way that makes her like it makes her the most trustworthy person in the room because it's very clear that she does not have time for bullshit. Uh, in all my interactions with her, it's like she is there for people available for laughter and she's also available for tears. And I know um, that I, I just want to say that like I, Sandy is loved in the community. Um, she's able to talk about hard things and she's also able to laugh about things um and in case you didn't pick up on this by listening to that story sandy is so smart she's probably the smartest person in the room most of the time if not all of the time uh but she's clearly not an asshole about it like she's just around processing information differently than most people that brings us to the end of this episode uh, which brings me to an announcement about this season. This episode with Sandy is the finale of season three. And it might surprise you to know that it's as much a surprise to me <laughs> as it is to you. Um, this was a hard decision, but one that I needed to make for myself and my family. And it is not the end of Everything's Relative podcast. I promise. I am not stopping any of my work. If you are one of the people who's reached out lately because you want to tell your story, do not worry. I will be contacting you soon. I'm still going to be collecting stories and getting ready for Everything's Relative season four. I just need a little bit of a break. Making a podcast is hard. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I have a full-time job. I have three kids. I have a dog. Um, the last few months have just presented some extra challenges. So I've just decided, okay, this is my podcast, my project. I'm my own boss. Uh, so I can take a break when I need to take a break. So right now I need to take a break. 
Um, it's a little bit hard because I am the most proud of this season, of season three. I feel like I'm just finally starting to understand how to make a podcast and just starting to feel comfortable here in this role. I'm so proud that I got I put out 20 episodes and I'm really excited and proud to know that I will put out even more next season. And I want to do events. I would love to meet more of you. Um, there are so many stories to tell. So even though there aren't new episodes coming out every week for a little while, please know that I'm still here. This is still an ongoing project. If you want to help me help people tell their stories and spread the word about the DNA discovery phenomenon some more, you can help by doing a couple things. You can review this podcast on whatever platform you listen to. You can give me some a star rating and you can write a review. Um, you could support me with Patreon. There's links on my uh, website. Um, contrary to popular belief, I make $0 creating this project. Uh, any amount that comes my way goes directly towards production immediately. Um, another way is you can tell your friends about it. You can follow the podcast on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Everything's Relative Podcast. Please make sure you're following along so that you know when things are happening and you can keep uh, keep in touch and up to date with what's happening over here in this camp. And otherwise, I just hope that you please keep in touch because like I keep saying, life keeps happening. Our stories are not happening to an end. They're always evolving. Uh, And that's all the stuff I want to talk about. So thank you so much for your support so far. It has been an amazing journey. I'm so excited to keep on traveling with it and with this huge loving community of MPEs that I have come to know through this project. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative Podcast. Until next time, bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Delon-Zick, the logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Ever wanted to hear from the neighbor at 9 Cloverfield Lane? Or what if I told you that Dr. Loomis's worst patient wasn't Michael Myers? I'm Adam Peacock, host of the podcast My Neighbors Are Dead. Join me each week as I talk to the lesser-known characters from your favorite horror films. Each week is an all-new, fully improvised journey into the unknown, featuring friends and luminaries from the worlds of comedy, horror, and beyond. New episodes every Tuesday on Campfire Media. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Campfire.